to really be expounding upon some verses found in 2 Kings chapter 3, beginning at verse 13 through 20, all right? And so it says from the New King James Version, I hope that's where we're at, New King James Version. It says, then Elisha said to the king of Israel, what have I to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father and the prophets of your mother. But the king of Israel said to him, no, for the Lord has called these three kings together to deliver them into the hand of Moab. And Elisha said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, surely were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, I would not look at you nor see you, see you, but now bring me a musician. Then it happened when the musician played that the hand of the Lord came upon him. And he said, thus says the Lord, make this valley full of ditches. Come on. For thus says the Lord, you shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water so that you, your cattle and your animals may drink. And this is a simple matter in the sight of the Lord. He will also deliver the Moabites into your hand and you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Now it happened in the morning when the grain offering was offered that suddenly water came by way of Edom and the land was filled with water. The, the word of the Lord is blessed. And let me just put this note. If you were at RMI this week, you better be able to tell me what kind of sermon I preached after we preached this sermon. Come on. All right. So before we can unpack this text this morning, we have to set the stage and understand who is in our text and what's happening in our text. And so I couldn't talk about the whole chapter, but I got to go back to the beginning of chapter three so that we can set the stage. We are told at the beginning of chapter three that Jerome becomes the king over Israel. We have to be mindful of who Jerome is because it's important. He is the son of the ungodly king Ahab and Jezebel. We can read so much in the book of Kings about them and their worship of false gods and how they uh, were in pursuit to rid the land of all of the prophets of the true and living God. And they have since King Ahab and Jezebel have since died and their son Jerom is the leader of Israel. And now the Bible declares in verse 3 of our chapter that he followed his parents. And he persisted in sin. It says that he himself continued in the ungodly behavior of his mama and his daddy. Come on. As he begins the reign of leadership over Israel, something begins to happen. And what's happening are these people called the Moabites. They begin to rise up and begin to revolt and rebel against Israel. Now I'm trying to set some background for us because it's helpful. We got to understand who the Moabites are. The Moabites are the descendants of Lot's son. And if you understand, they were conceived in an ungodly way because Lot's daughter got him drunk and slept with him. And so the Moabites are 
that they are the grandsons. They are the generation that came in this ungodly way, all right? Throughout the Bible, we see that they are the persistent and consistent enemy of Israel. Let me pause right there. Because everything that's done out of the order of God will consistently fight against what's order. All right. And so we have the Moabites who are consistently fighting against Israel. And some of us, listen, Israel is still really what's happening is they're still dealing with the aftermath of the sins of their forefathers. And some of the things that we're dealing with in our life are not the products of what we've done, but it's because of the sin of our forefathers. But somebody say it can still stop with you. Come on. It can stop with you. That's a whole nother subject. Let me get back to our text. In our text today, we have the Moabites rising up again against the children of Israel. Children of Israel. And they choose to revolt against Israel at this time because there's a changing of the guard. Because there is a new king that's been appointed. And I got to pause right here and say that's really the season that we're currently living in. The enemy is rising and ramping up because there is such a spiritual transition occurring and a spiritual change of God coming. He likes to use these sort of moments to see, are you still on your post? So, Jerome... This ungodly king realizes his enemy is about to rise up against him. And so he prepares the army. And not only does he prepare the army of Israel, but he realizes that he got some cousins around him that he can call. All right. He knows that I don't agree with these cousins about everything. We have some divisions in our life, but they still family. Come on, can we say that? And so he solicits the king of Judah, who is Jehoshaphat. And then he calls on the king of Edom to assist him in going to battle against the Moabites. Now, they had some real divisions between them because we, we understand that Jerome didn't worship the true and living God. Jehoshaphat and the kingdom Edom did. They had some real divisions, but they didn't allow that to stop them from coming together. And so why can't we who really don't have big divisions, we all believe in this church and this true Jesus Christ, why can't we as the body unify and fortify ourselves together so that we can fight against our one and true enemy, which is the devil? Come on, somebody. So the Bible declares that Jehoshaphat was a godly king in contrast to the ungodly Jerome. And these three armies had to battle the Moabites. Now, when they decide that we're going to come together and we're going to battle this Moab, these Moabites, they say, what is our plan? Where, what direction, what route are we going to take? And so they decide not to take the direct route. They decide that we're going to take the route through the desert. Somebody say through the desert. And the text calls this route the roundabout way. Anybody been in a roundabout way? Come on. 
I believe that some of us are in a roundabout way right now. Come on. I, my eyes are on the prize, but I, can't, I feel like I can't get straight there. I'm stuck in the traffic. I'm stuck in the detour. I'm stuck on some construction, and I'm 40. Help me, Lord Jesus. The roundabout way. The roundabout way, not the fast way, but the way that's full of detours. The way that's full of construction, not through the city. We're going through the countryside. Come on. Somebody say the roundabout way. And I can hear some of you now just like small kids on a road trip saying, God, when am I going to get there? Where are we now? But I've come to tell you, you're on the roundabout way. And the roundabout way is most often the only way that brings us to the destination that he intends for us to get to. Come on, say the roundabout way is the right way. Because it's only in the roundabout way that we discover that he is the way. Come on, somebody got to hear that. It's the roundabout way where we discover that he is the way. Now, the Bible declares in verse 9, we're getting to our text, we're getting there. The Bible declares in verse 9 that after they went the roundabout way for seven days we're gonna preach today after they went the roundabout ways for how many days seven days that the armies encountered a problem now before they can even reach their destination before they can even fight their enemy they're confronted with a problem and if this problem is not solved it will conquer them before they even have a chance to battle. I wish somebody would catch that in the spirit because the enemy already knows that you have the victory, so he wants to conquer you before you even get a chance to battle. So the armies have reached a point where they have an issue. What is the issue? The Bible says that they were out of water. They're in the roundabout way. They're in the desert without water the bible says there was no water for the army nor for the animals that followed them they were at risk of not perishing at the hands of the moabites but they were perishing from dehydration from weariness perishing from weakness from thirst they had an issue and so before we can dissect the issue we have to first ask ourselves, how did they get there? We have three kings, three leaders, leading huge armies into battle. Now, it lets us know at the top of our chapter that it was King Jerome's battle to fight. He was the one in which the Moabites was revolting against. But he solicits King Jehoshaphat the king of Judah. And although it was never his battle to fight, King Jehoshaphat finds himself in the same dire situation. His whole army is confronting death, just like the army of Jerom. So Jehoshaphat, I'm sorry, the godly king was very quick to accept King Jerom's invitation to help him. He didn't consult the Lord. But all he said was, your people, you my cousin, 
Your people are my people. In other words, let me say this the way we would say it. Y'all my cousins, and I ain't going to let nobody fight my cousins and not help y'all out. But Jehoshaphat, the godly king, did not consult the Lord before he went. He just went. And now he finds himself and his army at risk of dying. Come on, somebody got to hear this. Because how many times have you found yourself in need because you volunteered? God didn't tell you. You just went into somebody else's mess. We have, to be, we have to learn how to be led by God. I don't care if you are my cousin. God didn't call me to that situation with you. Come on, can we preach well? We have to learn how to be led by God. We can't take up everybody else's offense and everybody else's battle. You stressed out. You broke down. You at your wit's end because of somebody else's mess. You better ask the Lord and stop just running to the rescue because what tends to happen is that you find yourself in need of being rescued. And that's where we find Jehoshaphat and these three armies. They all need water, not just the ungodly king. Come on. They all are in need of water. And the prognosis for them is sure death if they don't get to water. And so what happens next? Jehoshaphat, the godly king, he quickly remembers who to turn to. Now, isn't it something that we will run in a mess and we will forget to consult God, but we get in, that, in the middle of that mess and we remember him real quick? Come on. And so Jehoshaphat remembers who to turn to. He says, is there not a prophet? of the Lord that we can inquire of the Lord for us. In other words, is there someone here who can talk to God on our behalf and tell us what he's saying? Because now I'm in this difficult situation and I need to hear what the Lord is saying. Come on, let me just pause right there. And let me just say this prophetically, that this is where our world is today. The, the godly and the ungodly have joined together. We've made alliances that God has never intended for us to make. We as a church, a people of God, have gotten ourselves into a mess. And now we are in need of a rescue. It's time for the people of God to inquire of the Lord. More than ever, people are going everywhere looking for a word, looking for direction. But I'm asking this question today. Will the true prayer warriors, will the seers, come on, will the true prophets of God stand up? Because the, the, the world needs a word. They need to hear from the Lord. So they call for the prophet of God who is Elisha. Somebody say Elisha. Now you have to understand that King Jerome's parents, Ahab and Jezebel, are the ones that tried to kill Elijah. Come on. And so they call for the prophet of God who is Elisha. Now isn't it something that people will shun you and tell you it don't take all that? 
Tell you they don't understand why you at church all the time. Tell you they don't understand why you always reading your Bible. While every time you call, they say you praying. But when they're in trouble, whose phone is ringing? Come on. And so I know your, my parents tried to kill your master, the person that you serve. But I need to hear a word. So I'm about to come seek you out. Come on. So Elisha is sought out by the ungodly king, Jerom, as well of the, as the other two kings. So these three kings go seeking for the prophet. And we understand that the armies were in preparation for battle. Come on. And most theologians, if you study, don't understand why Elisha was even that close to the battleground. And I don't have the answer to tell you why he was so close, but I do know this. If you live in the place of a hearer, God will always position you near where a word needs to be delivered. Y'all didn't hear that. Come on. If you live in the position of a hearer, God will always position you near where a word needs to be delivered. So the three kings go to Elisha. And now we've kind of caught up where our text starts. Elisha says in verse 13, he says to the king of Israel, Jerom, the ungodly king. He says, what have I to do with you? In other words, why are you ungodly king that does not believe in my God? Matter of fact, so much so that you have all your own prophets, all right, and you have tried to kill and prevent the true and living, the prophets of the true and living God from working. Why are you in my face? Why? Why? There's some sort of a righteous indignation as Elisha calls the king out. And listen, the king, you got to understand this. The king is someone that in the natural has great power and authority over Elisha. But Elisha understands something, something that we often forget. He understands where true power and authority comes from. And so he doesn't hesitate to call out the king. And he lets King Jerome know that if it had not been for the presence of the godly King Jehoshaphat, I would not even go to the Lord on your behalf. People of God, it's time for us to get some of that righteous indignation and call out sin where you see it. Come on, sometimes we pat a cake with it too much, trying to be nice. Thank you for coming to me. Yeah, I pray for you. No, I'm going to pray for you, but you need to stop living in that mess. Come on. We're too busy trying to blend in when God has called us to stand. So Elisha lets him know, because I have respect for the godly king Jehoshaphat, I'm going to go to the Lord on your behalf. Come on, some of y'all got some friends and family. Can we be real in the house that's still here because they have linked up with you? He only heard Jerome's request because he was linked up with Jehoshaphat. All right, the favor on your life is what's keeping your family alive. Come on, the favor on your life is what's keeping your company in, in, not from not going into debt. Come on. Somebody say, it's the favor on my life. 
And, and when people link up with me, they get favor. Y'all got to hear that today. So Elisha lets them know that he would go to God on their behalf because of his respect for King Jehoshaphat. And the first thing that Elisha does before he prays, before he asks the Lord anything, he tells the kings to bring him something. Come on, put that verse up for me. Put verse 14. He asks the Lord to bring, he asks the kings to bring him something. He tells the kings, look at it. He says, bring me a musician. Somebody say, bring me a musician. One of the things that we have declared this month, and we've been talking about it almost every week, is that we have to raise the level of our praise and raise the level of our worship. We talked about how worship and praise precede victory. And so why does Elisha, before he goes to the Lord, why does he ask them to bring him a musician? Somebody say why. Let me give you two probable reasons. Come on. And if you in RMI, we on point one worship. Come on. And let me give you two probable reasons. He understands that he's in mixed company. He understands that he, we serve a God that doesn't like mixed things. He said, be ye what, hot or cold? Come on. So we have to shift. We're in mixed company. We got this ungodly king who worshiping everything, calves and everything else. And then we have the godly king. And here we have the prophet of the Lord. And Elisha understands that I got to shift this atmosphere. In such a way where one thing is about to win out. And so uh, Elijah says, I got to shift this atmosphere so the one thing can win out. And when the one thing who is the true and living God, when it wins out, I will have the ability to hear with sincerity and hear with pureness what God is speaking in this situation. Why is constant worship so important? To the believer. Because we live among mixed company. We live in a mixed environment. People are worshiping so many other things. And the only way for us to stay connected and be able to hear what the Lord is saying with sincerity, with clarity, and with pureness is to maintain a posture of worship. So that everywhere I go, The one thing, the true thing, the living God can win out and win over the atmosphere that I'm in. When you go to work, you in mixed company. But if you live in a posture of worship, you will have the ability to shift the atmosphere everywhere you go. Come on, I know I'm talking better than y'all responding, but that's all right. Come on. Somebody say worship. So number one, that's number one. He understands he's in mixed company. Number two, reason why he asked them or told them to bring him a musician is because Elisha understands what we're trying to teach to you, that the move of the Lord is preceded by a sound. The move of the Lord is preceded by 
a sound. Now, folks that already know, come on, I'm talking about folks that live in faith. Folks that already know that God is about to move in their situation. We don't wait to call the musician after he moves. Come on. Folks that really know that God is about to move in my situation. I call for the musician to usher in his work. I don't call for the musician after he works. I call for the musician to usher in his work. He called for a musician. Now, I, I'm so grateful that we live on the other side of Psalm 150 being written. See, King, uh, so the prophet Elisha didn't have that. He didn't know that uh, what one, Psalm 150 told us, that the very breath uh, makes wind in our lungs to become the only instrument that we need. So he had a call for a musician. But I'm trying to let you know that you don't have to call for a musician because we live with Psalm 150, the understanding of Psalm 150, that his breath in our lungs gives wind to our voice and your mouth is the instrument. And so everywhere you go, you are the musician. Let everything, come on, that have breath, praise the Lord. Somebody just shout hallelujah right there. Verse 15 says that while the musician was playing, while the musician was playing, what happened? It says the hand of the Lord came upon Elisha. In other words, in another translation, it will say like this. The power of the Lord came on Elisha. All right. The power of the Lord came on Elisha. And what you have to understand about worship is this, is this, there is no way that you can worship God and he not show up. There's no way that you can, you can be a worshiper and not see God intervene on your behalf. Psalm 22 and three, it says, oh, you are the holy one and you dwell in the praises of your people. Worship is the vehicle that takes us away from our issue and places us where God lives. So we in the middle of this mess. But I'm going to use my instrument and I'm going to begin to sing God's praises to tell him how great he is. I have just put myself in a vehicle that makes me leave my issue and places me where God is. Anybody catch that? Worship is how we meet with God. It's how we experience his presence. And it says the hand of the Lord rests on Elisha. And he begins to hear. He begins to hear what God is saying. And he begins to give the kings some directives. The result of worship is that we receive direction. Everybody praying for direction, but everybody ain't worshiping. Come on, because if you worship and God begins to direct you, it's where we receive comfort. It's where things become a little bit clearer than they were before. And so God tells the kings through the prophet Elisha, he says, what I need for you all to do, I need for you to make this valley full of ditches. Woo. And when you do that, the water will come. He said, ain't going to be no rain. 
You're not going to see no rain, rather. You're not going to see any clouds. But this desert, this land is going to be full of water for the men to drink, for the animals to drink, and everybody that's following you. So you're telling me, Elisha, that I'm in this dry and weary land. I'm in this desert place. Come on. I'm in this valley. And, and the valley often uh, really represents a low time in life. I'm in this valley. I'm out here wasting away. I need some water. And you're going to tell me to dig a ditch? You're going to tell me when I'm about to faint? Anybody ever been dehydrated? Come on, you don't have a lot of strength when you are dehydrated. All right, you telling me when I'm about to faint, I'm dehydrated, I'm wasting away in this desert, I don't even have that much energy, and you going to ask me to exert whatever energy I have to dig a ditch? Come on. God. I only have one more meal to feed me and my son, and you want me to give my oil, my flour to the prophet? Come on. God, you see, I'm in need. I got a bill to pay, and you want me to bless this to so-and-so with what? He says, I need you to dig a ditch. I need you to dig a ditch. Point number two, RMI, dig your ditch. I know you're looking for healing, but I need you to dig a ditch. I know you're waiting on financial provision, but dig a ditch. I know you're waiting on promotion. You're waiting on resources. You're praying for doors to be open. But I know you're waiting on a miracle, but I need you to dig a ditch. It hurts. Keep digging. I don't know what's going on. I don't know if it's going to work out. Keep digging. This doesn't feel good. He said, keep digging. All right. What he's saying is, I need you to dig deeper into me. While I'm weary, he wants me to dig to a place where I'm no longer relying on my own strength, but I have to rely on his. I'm digging deeper to the point where my resources are irrelevant because I'm resting on the fact that he's the source. Come on, I'm digging deeper till all I have is faith because I'm so far down in this ditch that I've lost sight of the surface. And when you get to that place, then you dug your ditch well. Because let me tell you something about God. Let me tell you something about God. He understands the magnitude of what we need much, much better than we do. He understands completely how to create a miracle and how to make a way. But he is a good, good father. And so let me illustrate it this way. I need you to help me. Let me illustrate it this way. Come on. Let me illustrate it. Can y'all see this? Let's, let's move back a little bit. Forgive us, Pastor. We're going to get some water on the stage, but we ain't going to touch the speakers with it. Praise the name of the Lord. So let me illustrate it. This is us. We are this container, all right? And so this is us. And we're asking, Lord, I, 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 need, I need water. I need a miracle. 
I need financial provision. But he's a good, good father. And so this is us in the desert place. We're in a weary land, and we're asking. But the reason why he can't give us the water right now, because this is what's going to happen, just for that. It's going to waste. It's going to waste. And he says, I'm a good, good father, and I do not like to waste. So I need you to dig. I'm not going to waste my miracle. So I need you to dig. It hurts. I know you're tired. I know that this thing has been ailing you for a long time. But I need you to keep on digging. Because when I pour, when I bless you, when I give my miracle, I want it to go in something that contain it. I want it to be in something that can handle it, that can contain it. And some of you have been going through for so long and wondering why you're going through because he wants you to dig deeper. Because the oil that he knows is on your life, you got to be able to contain it. And if he gave it to you when you asked for it, it would just waste. He said, dig. He said, dig, because he understood, if I pour out water on this desert, it's just going to run off, and you ain't going to be able to drink it. But if you dig a ditch, you'll have a container to hold it, and so that you can go to drink today, tomorrow, and the next day. And so if you keep allowing him to dig and plug up some stuff in you, you will be able to hold the miracle that he's already has for you. Some of us some of us aren't ready to contain the oil that's on our life. And so he said, dig, dig your ditch because the ditch is what's going to allow you to contain the glory. He needs you to go deeper. He needs you to go deeper. Somebody say deeper. Because he's trying to take you from this surface level of understanding. This surface level of believing, this surface level of waiting on God into a deeper revelation of who he is. He's trying to give you depth, come on, that will allow you to hold and contain the miracle. He's trying to give you a miracle, some oil that doesn't run out. Come on. Somebody say, I need to contain it. He's a good father. He doesn't want to waste. So some of y'all are despising your time of digging your ditch. But I'm trying to help you understand that the riches of God are found not on the mountain. They're not found on the surface. But the, but the riches of God are found in the ditches of life. Come on. My strength is made perfect in his weakness. Come on. I'm near to the broken in those of a contrite heart. Don't despise the ditches. They are just setting you up to contain your miracle. Come on. And so the prophet says, make this valley full of what? Ditches. Come on. What does it say? Make this valley full of what? Ditches. Woo! That's what the prophet says. For you will see neither rain or wind. Yet this valley will be filled with water. It says that you're going to drink. 
Come on, like Oprah, you're going to drink. The animal going to drink. You're going to drink. Come on. You're going to drink. Your animals are going to drink. And then I'm not just going to be done there. Somebody got to hear that. But I'm going to hand the Moabites over to you. It says in verse 19, I got one more point. Don't push me. It says in verse 19, and you, and you shall attack every fortified city and every choice city and, and, every, and shall cut down every good tree and stop up every spring of water and ruin every good piece of land with stones. Hear me in the house today. I know you've been watching everybody else on they come up, but something is about to flow your way. And the ungodly sources that they've been tapped into is about to dry up. Because that's what he's telling. He said, this land is about to be full. And then y'all about to stop the springs of your enemy. You, somebody got to hear that in the spirits. Come on. I hope somebody hears that prophetically today. He said that I'm about to fill your valley with water. And the springs are about to dry up for your enemies. Come on. I can shout right there. Verse 20 says, what does verse 20 say important? It says, now it happened in the morning. I'm trying not to get too excited. I'm trying to calm myself down. It says, now it happened in the morning. Somebody say, it happened in the morning. Ain't nobody caught it yet. Ain't nobody caught it. So what does that mean? It means that after they dug their ditch, they went and took a rest. Now it happened in the morning. What have we been talking about? We said this is the season of what? Now it happened in the morning. That's point three, rest. Come on, Armand. I'm trying to help y'all today. I'm trying to make it plain. That's point three, rest. After you have worshipped, because that's what, where Elisha started. All right. And then you've obeyed the Lord by digging your ditch. What is there next to do? Somebody say rest. I hear people all the time tell me I've done everything. Come on. I believe the Lord told me to do. I've done everything that they've asked me to do. What do I do now? Rest. Come on. Somebody say rest. You got to understand that rest is really the ultimate level of trust. They dug their ditches. It didn't say that they stayed by the window all night long to see what was happening to their ditch. It didn't say that they were pacing the floor all night long to see what was going on, but they rested. Somebody say rest. Now it happened in the morning. When the grain offering was offered, that suddenly water came by way. That means flowing from the direction of Edom. And the land was filled with water. So after they rested, come on, hear me. So after they rested, they got up in the morning. And when they got up in the morning, they wasn't looking in their ditch. It says right here, verse 20, that... Now in the morning. So after they rested, what did they do? It said they offered the grain offering. What is the grain offering? 
The grain offering is another act of worship. But the grain offering specifically is a worship to give thanks for God's provision. So they, they worship. They obeyed the word of the Lord. They dug their ditches. Then they rested. And before they went over to check their ditch, they said, let me offer some more worship. Worship of thanksgiving to thank you for being a provider before I even see what you have. Come on. And so we have to worship. We got to obey and dig our ditch. Then we got to rest. And then you got to worship some more. Somebody say, I got to worship some more. Because see, the first worship was in preparation for my ask. I'm worshiping you this time so that I can meet with you and tell you what I need. And then you told me what to do. I responded through my obedience. Then I rest in this place of trust, knowing that you're going to do it. And I trust you so well that when I get up, I worship you again in thanksgiving and say, thank you for meeting my needs. So, it says, the Bible says, that right about the same time that they were offering this grain offering, right about the same time where they were saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for meeting my need. Thank you that you've never failed me. Thank you, Father, that you've heard my prayer. Right in the midst of one of those thank you, it said that the water just began to flow. Water just begins to flow from the direction of Edom. Hallelujah. And it filled the land. They didn't see the rain or the wind. Come on. You got to understand this. They didn't see the rain or the wind. Come on. If you study this thing, most theologians say that the rain was about three days journey away. Come on. So that's about, that's like getting a downpour in Dallas and your house flooded. See, sometimes he can't let you see where the blessing came from. Because we have this issue as humanity, is we like to attribute stuff to where we see it. But sometimes he just let it, gotta let it flow your way so you know when it came in front of you if it had not been for the... Let me, let me encourage somebody today because you need to know this about your miracle, about your blessing, that it doesn't matter how far away it's falling. It doesn't matter how far away the healing is. It doesn't matter how far away the revival is taking place. We serve a God that knows how to make what we need flow in our direction. Come on. Tell him he's going to make it flow in my direction. He's going to make it flow in my direction. Whatever I need, he's going to make it flow in my direction. Hallelujah. That's why I'm not worried about what the interest rates are and what the banks are saying. Because he's going to make the miracle that's for me flow in my direction. Come on. Anybody receive that in this house? I'm outside the text now. But I got to say this. I'm on about verse 22 now, but I got to say this. What you got to understand is he didn't allow 
the children of Israel to see the rain. But he also didn't allow their enemies to see it either. Listen. Now the Bible says that he will make a table in front of your enemies. But sometimes, sometimes he uses what's called a decoy to lure them in. If you keep on reading in our scripture text, it talks about how the Moabites, they looked over into the desert to see their enemies. And they said, oh, my God, they must have killed themselves because we see something that looks like blood. Because from their viewpoint, the water, the sun was shining on the water, and it was taking the color of that sandy red desert. And so they said, let us go down there because we're going to surely have victory because it looks like they've already slaughtered themselves. I'm trying to talk to somebody. Your enemy saying, oh, my God, they sweating over there. They've been about to pass out. But when they get close, they're going to realize that's just the oil. Woo! Come on. They saying, oh, my God, I see what looks like some sort of bed, some sort of round, some sort of uh, square thing. They must be getting ready to die. But when they get closer, they're going to see that you just situating your table because you're preparing for your feet. Somebody say, it's flowing in my direction. I receive that. It's flowing in my direction. It's somebody say it's flowing in my direction. Come on, remnant church, remnant church people of God. I declare to you that blessing, your blessing, your miracle is about to flow in your direction. What did the prophet say? He said the miracle. He said making your way out of no way. That deliverance that you need, that financial provision that you need, that healing that you need, all of that is a simple matter to God. That ain't the hard stuff. He's just waiting on you to dig your ditch. Come on. He's waiting on you to worship. He's waiting on you to dig your ditch, to dig deeper. He's waiting on you to rest. That's a big one right there. Can you rest? He's waiting on you to change your questions to thanksgiving. Come on. There's a supernatural release of power coming to this house. But God won't give us anything we're not prepared to contain. He's a good father. We don't give our eight-year-old keys to the car. Come on. He's a good father. He gives us what we can handle. He gives us what we, what we can contain. Come on, you got to dig deeper so you can hold on to what he wants to give you. Can I make it plain? Why would God give you all of this financial provision and you haven't dug out your poverty mindset? Come on. Why would he give you this miracle that you're needing of healing and you won't stop eating the foods that got you there in the first place. Can we just be real in the house? Now, why in the world would he bless you with higher promotion on your job 
and you won't make it on time at the level you're at. I'm making it practical. He's not going to give you what you cannot contain. It's time to dig deeper. It's time to dig your ditch. Someone tell your neighbor that. Say, dig your ditch. And listen, I know that the streets tell us that snitches lead to stitches. Come on. But I'm proclaiming something new in the house, okay? I want to proclaim it to you that snitches, telling of the goodness of God in worship, leads to ditches growing deeper in him, which provide the room for my riches, the blessings of God. Come on, somebody say, snitches lead to ditches that make room for my riches. Anybody ready to dig in here? Come on, anybody ready to dig? Anybody ready to dig deeper? Anybody ready to dig your ditch? Oh, God. Come on, let's worship the Lord. Come on, stand to your feet. I want you to hear this. I want these words to be your testimony today. the seed get in the ground you gotta dig a ditch come on come on come on do you believe it's your season Do you believe that today?
Come on, point to yourself if you believe it. Come on. It's your season. That's why we're talking about when we say it's Jubilee. We're saying it's your season to reap. It's your season for favor. It's your season to understand that this desert place, this dry and weary land, Come on, this ditch that I've been in is working for my good. I know it's hot. I know you've been sweating. I know ain't nothing comfortable about the desert. But I want you to receive this word today. That it's working for your good. And that the miracle that you've been asking for See, this is the thing about God. He don't have to take you out of the, the desert to bless you. But he can bless you right dab in the middle of your dry land. He can. That's why we miss the blessing of God sometimes. Because we're waiting for him to remove us from a place. When he said, I want to bless you in that place. For your good, for your good, everything that you've gone through. He's just digging something deeper in you, a deeper relationship, a deeper place of intimacy with him, a deeper worship, a deeper trust. Come on. He's just trying to dig something deeper. Come on. You got to know it. Tell them it's flowing in their direction. Come on. Somebody say. If you believe it, come on, say it with her. 
your miracle, your breakthrough, Anybody believe that? Anybody believe that? I'm, I, when you rest, let me say, when you in a place of rest, you don't, you're not even in a position where you got to see the rain. Woo. He said you weren't going to see the rain nor the clouds. He understood that they were going to have to come to a position of rest. That's trust. Where you're not looking to see, you just know. Come on, Remnant Church, I'm talking to you. We got to move past this place where I need to see to all I got to do is know. The prophet said that the land was going to be full. Woo. All I need to do is know. Come on, the altar's open if you need prayer today, if you need salvation, if you want to know the Lord, and if you want to know the Lord and the pardon of your sins, the altar's open for you today. Hallelujah. If you need healing, deliverance, the altar is open for you. Thank you, Jesus.